Hey, everybody! We have returned! Hey, hey, and we were talking with a pretty uh, gruesome movie. Yeah, um, I also just want to apologize. Like, I was. I think it's because we're, like, now officially in fall. I, I got sick. So I was, like, in uh, bed for a few days. So that's why we're kind of running behind. But yeah, um, this is another one of Jad's uh, suggestions. And I had heard about this through a YouTuber um, who reviews a lot of, like, obscure animated stuff. Um, and I don't know if maybe it's because I play a lot of horror video, video games. I've watched a lot of horror, but I kind of found this a little underwhelming. Oh, wait. Seriously? Yes! I know wow. that sounds really weird, but I was like... I mean... Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to say it's not violent, but I think I was maybe expecting a little more. I'm not really sure. It just, I found it kind of like, I'm not saying it isn't violent. I was just like, I thought it, there was going to be more to it, you know? Ah. Uh, well, I mean, we'll get into uh, some of the themes, but uh, there is a bit more to it if you uh, analyze it. From a certain point of view. Okay, so I'm gonna let you do this, Jad, because you, I think, know more about this than I do. Okay, now Paddock, aka Shumanatsu C, was uh, produced in South Korea by director Dai Hee Lee. I'm sorry if I butchered that name. Um, and he came up with the idea for a movie when he was at a small fisherman's village in Co South Korea, and he passed by a restaurant, and on the uh, from the restaurant was a take, oh, excuse me, and they kept out the fish. And it was only just a few feet away from the actual harbor. Like, they're close to death, but also they are so tantalizingly close to freedom. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, Lee, who at the time, I'm, uh, worked in a different career, he Surprisingly, could relate to this because he felt trapped in his own job and work. And that's why he got the idea for a uh, dark existentialist movie told from the uh, point of view of fish in a seafood restaurant. Now, originally the film was going to be uh, hand drawn, but with the small art team Lee had and the lack of funding, and Plus, it didn't have a lot of uh, film companies in uh, South Korea pass it in film. Like, you want us to make an anime movie about a, a fish who want to escape being eaten? No one's going to want to see that. I but have to admit, probably uh, a lot of people heard the idea and they're like, no way, no one's going to want to see that, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, and after... Uh, and with the way things were going, it would take an estimated 15 years if they were going to do the hand-drawn path until a friend of his finally convinced him to take a stylized cel-shaded approach to computer animation after showing him a demo demonstrating the facial expressions of the animated characters and fists. I am going to say, this movie does look actually pretty good. The animation's oh, yeah, pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And now... The film received a very limited release, only being shown in South Korean film festivals. But uh, for its international debut, it was on Steam of all places, as they were in the middle of uh, starting to uh, sell movies on the platform. Huh. 
and it became notable as the first animated movie available on Steam. That's really interesting. Okay, and uh, since you're new to this, how about uh, you like to start off with the uh, plot? I forgot how short this was. We didn't really have a lot of info on this one, did we? Uh, no, unfortunately, no. Okay, so I, I'm i not going to say this movie is bad. I think it's just more of this is not my thing. Because I didn't... Yeah. I, it's not that I hated it. I was just like, hmm, I'm a little bored? Like, again, I don't think this is a really bad movie. I was just sort of a little underwhelmed. And again, I'm not saying that it's not violent, but I'm like, I think it's just, again, because I've seen a lot of horror stuff. I've played so many horror video games. To me, I was, again, just, I was like, I thought there was going to be more, you know? Uh, you, uh, okay, um, so, oh, uh, and, well, uh, the film, uh, deals with a lot of existentialism, like, uh. Oh, yeah. We start with this mackerel, freshly caught from the ocean, and put into a fish tank in a seafood restaurant. At first, she's put in this overcrowded tank with a bunch of sea bass who can't move. But then she switched to a, a group of farm fish, consisting of a striped beak fish named Bream, a snapper named Nolimey, a sleepy sea bass named Bar, and a saltwater eel named Jewelum. Now the thing um, is, we don't really learn their names, except I think for like two of them. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a young greener named Spotty, and at first Paddock is shocked about her new environment. She keeps ramming herself against the uh, glass wall of the tank. Yeah, she's tank. freaking out. Mm -hmm. Which makes and sense. Then, yeah. And all the other fish start playing dead when a customer arrives at the restaurant. Which is smart. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep telling her to play dead, but she keeps trying to ram against the wall. And doing that, they, they witness another uh, macro chosen, and, uh, and it leads to a pretty gruesome scene of it being cut open alive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, he didn't even bother chopping off the head. He just nope. filleted the sides, ripped out the organs, and chopped... <laughs> Like, the way he does it is, like, he hits it with his knife and, like, knocks it out and then kills it. Yeah, this dude is very efficient. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you can tell there's a bit of a contrast with the fish being cartoony and brightly colorful while the humans are downright ugly and their color yeah. tone is more muted. They're really drab-looking, right? and they're also kind of, I mean, yeah, I, I'm gonna say they're kind of odd. They make them a little uglier, I think, and I think they did that on purpose. Yeah, because uh, it's supposed to be from the fish's point of view, and mm -hmm. they view the humans as monsters and beasts. Yeah. But you kind of understand, because, you know, they're the ones being eaten. Mm -hmm. And as Pata continues to just ram herself against the wall, she's knocked out by a flatfish, who everyone refers to as the Master. Uh, who tells her that if she wants to survive, she has to play dead like the rest of them. And this is when we uh, get to a very trippy dream sequence in a musical form, nonetheless. <laughs> and it kind it's of doesn't fit. Yeah, just abstract, stylized, hand-drawn animation about Pada. 
It's very pretty. What she just witnessed. But it just does not fit. And uh, it takes a dark turn when she sees the humans as these tall beasts with knives for a hand, just chopping up fists, and there's this giant, massive macro carcass decomposing during the entire time, which was very they are gross and dark. Yeah. The imagery in this can get really disturbing at some point. So, like, mm-hmm. if you have a queasy stomach, I can't recommend this. Because it, it just, it, it doesn't sugarcoat anything. Yeah. So when Paddock wakes up, uh, she learns that all the other fish in the tank, and they live under the rule of the flatfish, the master, who's been living in the tank the longest, as he lives under a grate in the tank. And since he's the only one thin enough to hide under it. Which is smart. Yeah. It makes sense. And uh, also we get to yet another disturbing scene where a dying physicist is plopped into the tank. And all the other physicists by Paddock starts eyeing it hungrily despite its weakened pleas to, uh, for help. Help. Uh, and... And but the other fish just eat it alive after the flatfish just eats its eyeballs, which is intense. Yeah. I can see bits in a, a flesh start uh, floating up in a tank. And Paddock's like watching this entire thing, you know, in complete horror. But also, it's like, okay, I'm not trying to be mean, but um, fish eat each other in real life. Mm hmm. So it's like. I know it was supposed to be shocking, but I'm like, well, that's unfortunately what fish have to do. They have to eat. Some fish, you know, eat, like, krill or something, or, like, really tiny things, and some fish eat other fish. So, yeah. Yeah, and later that <laughs> night, uh, we found another way that fish was sustained himself. Uh, Flatfish tells the, the other fish riddles in order... Order to uh, uh, it's sort of like the pecking order. Like whoever guesses wrong gets a piece of their tail eaten off. It's apparently in a uh, fish tanks are overcrowded and too small. That's what some fish do to assert dominance. They just nip at the other fish's tail. That's both depressing, but also kind of makes sense when you think about it. Mm-hmm. I also just want to say, like the fish are really eager. To do this stuff. They're starved. That's why. And. And Paddock. Uh, guess it's a little right. Which is how many fins does a starfish have. However. Blackfish tells us he's wrong. In order to uh, try to. Bring her down to their pecking order. As he still refuses. Yes. But she manages to uh, fight off. Some of the other fish. It's done the entire time. Yeah. I'm to the point. And let's see. How... I'm trying to remember the rest of this. Uh, oh yeah, we get a dream of Flatfish. Back when he was younger and in a tank with his lover. He actually had a lover who was a female Flatfish. Who dreamt about going out to the ocean again. While Flatfish was from a fish farm. Um, and she... he convinces him... Um, to try to play dead, she's convinced that the humans will eat him if they play dead. But as he's playing dead, she's taken away and served to the humans. I will because... admit that scene was actually pretty sad. Mm-hmm. 
Let's see. Hey. Hey, yeah, so... Oh, Spotty, who's younger... Uh, he, uh, shows an interest in Paddock's stories about the ocean. And cause... They really contradict with everything the Master told the other fish about the ocean. And Which kind of makes sense, because, huh? I mean, he's the oldest one, so it's kind of not surprising that they believe him. Mm-hmm. Even though he's lying. <laughs> And so, uh, while I cleaned the fish tank, uh, uh, Paddock and Spotty managed to jump out of the fish tank and start flopping towards, towards the ocean, only to be, be caught by the, the owner of the restaurant. And, and, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember. And, uh, during the, uh, rhythm night, Paddock is still defiant against Ents Flatfish, to the point where it breaks down to a fight and Flatfish Accidentally hits himself into a wall and bleeds a bit. Mm-hmm. And he is really pissed about this. He is angry. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's when the eel, who's supposed to be Flatfish's lieutenant, decides to have Paddock tell the riddle from now on. And Paddock still seems want to escape, because the other fish, they are, are pretty much, uh, uh, accepted the fate to eventually be killed in this restaurant. Oh, yeah. Uh, it seemed the only way out of it is to just delay the inevitable. They don't uh, question anything. Yeah. But Paddock doesn't want to survive. She wants to escape. She wants her freedom. Yeah, she doesn't so want to... The... She doesn't want to just, like, survive. She wants to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... For her riddle, she asks the other fish how they can find a way out. To which, um, one fish suggests that, that the king crabs could help because of their sharp pincers. Uh, and while Paddock insists he knew a lot of languages as to all the other fish in the ocean, and, and she, he was eventually convinced by, uh, Spotty, uh, to jump into the, into the tank filled with king crabs in order to ask for help. But she ends up injured instead. She almost dies. Yeah. And this uh, creepy little boy does... Oh god, this kid. Yeah, he's so ugly. He uh, notices that the owner uh, left the net out for transporting fish from tank to tank. Uses it to uh, scoop up paddock and put it in, in a small aquarium in the restaurant with all the clownfish inside. Hide. And the other fists are in the tank are convinced she's dead as nothing could survive that. But Spotty soon grows a backbone and even though he can't talk to the King Crab, he insists on jumping into the tank to help. Despite yeah. uh, that is insisting that uh, they, uh, he won't survive. Mm-hmm. Five. And, oh, yeah, I forgot about this one scene that happens right before it, where they find, right before they're about to eat a dying fish, and the master's flat fish is about to bite in, and the uh, fish starts laughing because he knows he's going to die, I and just starts mocking flat fish, saying that he's living in a crate in a tank, and that's no way for any fish to live. Yeah, like he kind of calls Flatfish out because for all of Flatfish's bravado, he's kind of a, um, you know, 
a coward too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and despite the objections, Spotty jumps into the King Crab tank, only to be killed immediately. Okay. And back in Paddock in the Clownfish tank, this oh jeez, the scene. Yeah, the little Clownfish. Paddock still uh pa- passed out from all the injuries, and this Paddock, this little uh, Clownfish starts smacking her nose awake, and since she wakes up, cause uh, she's an edible fish. Is- yeah. But as soon as Paddock wakes up from all those days of starvation, her natural instincts soon take over. She goes all wide-eyed and goes into a feeding frenzy. Yeah, like you can't blame her, but it's pretty messed up. Yeah, but with one like clownfish left, and before she can eat her, this decoration and in the tank, which is like a knife, a uh, knight with a sword, accidentally stabs Paddock, and she witnesses some of the uh, fish served in a restaurant, like. Apparently, it's kind of fucked up in some uh, rest- seafood restaurants. They will serve the fish alive, which is yeah, really fucked up. That's just weird. Like, um, the, like I see some videos of the head still moving. Like yeah. Like, it's trying to breathe. The head's still moving, but also, like, there's some places where it's like they'll give you, like, tentacles that are still moving and stuff. I'm like, that's a little much. Mm-hmm. Just eat it when it's dead, okay? Give it that much. Like, yeah, it's fucked up. Like, like I heard one guy choke to death after in a small activist, and I thought, good, don't, don't eat them alive. Yeah, like, just eat it when up. they're that's cruel. dead. Like, I, again, I was like, you know, fish are meant to be eaten, but it's like, in one of the scenes, we see in one of the scenes, like, the fish is, the fish head's still alive. It's still breathing, and it's just treated as something kind of funny. I'm like, that is really messed up. What is happening here? And speaking of this stuff, back in the uh, fish tank, uh, Spotty he is dead, and he's returned oh, to the tank. Yeah, and all the other fish are shocked, but the ear starts uh, sticking into his corpse, which really angers Flatfish. This is the first time Flatfish has shown like any care for uh, any of the other fish. Yeah, like he insists that uh, Spotty was a friend, to which he says maybe when he was alive. But he's dead. Every fish that's dead becomes our meal. Yeah, no, that's no. <laughs> I find that just unsettling. I mean, I, I get it, but at the same time, it's like, well, then how do you expect them to respect you when you're dead? Mm-hmm. Just a really and, terrible way to look at things. Yeah, because that shows how cynical these fish have become from um their lives in the tank. Mm-hmm. And Panic manages to return to her tank after the uh, owner of the restaurant spots her in the aquarium. Freaking took them she... forever. How do they not notice yes. that big ass fish eating the smaller fish? And when she sees Flatfish is off of Spotty's corpse, he assumed that she assumed that he killed her, and they start fighting. And just when they're fighting, and a couple comes by to the restaurant, and then all the other fish are playing dead. And but. Flatfish is no longer in his hiding spot, and because of that, the cover choose to have them, him. And it leads to a scene of Flatfish taken out of the tank. He's on the chopping, he's right in the kitchen as all the other fish are being in chopping, and he's witnessing all the horrors that goes on from fish being in boiled, grind up, chopped up, and even spots uh, Spotty's corpse when the other fish refuse to eat it. 
and she's a rest under the restaurant, just dumping into the sink with all the other dead fish. Yeah, I will say this scene is actually, I think, probably the most effective. Just because, like, I mean, again, like I said, this is a very, it's a violent film, but it's like nothing really, I think, stood out to me until this moment. It just felt, I don't know, there was some, something about it that just felt a lot more um, emotional, I guess, if that, if that makes any sense. And Fafis is literally on the chopping board. He's about to get his head cut off. Only at the last minute. And he's no the chef is notified by the raid atress that uh, the cover changed the order to mackerel and Paddock dies. Yep. The titular character dies in the film. Mm-hmm. And it kind of felt, I don't know, I was like, uh... Yeah, it was and kind of just again. I I didn't really feel much. And well, Flatfish begins after witnessing Paddock die. He begins imitating, acting like her at the beginning of the film, just knocking himself into the a wall uh, while all the other fish play dead. Yeah, like he goes. Yeah. To, he becomes what Paddock was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, and at and uh, Flatfish decides. He wants to escape. Hey, P. As the uh, restaurant chef begins to open up the tank, he leaps out, out, whacks him in the head with his tail, sending him into a little bucket of water. He starts flapping to the ocean. And at first, the, the chef catches him before flicking him in the head several times. Which I but, thought was unnecessary. It's like, dude, you, you can stop. You're just mad because the fish got the better of you. But Just as he up the picks up, fish. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, he picks up the freaking fish. But <laughs> Flatfish has a little piece of the sword hidden in his mouth and spits it out of the guy's face, and he jumps into the water, uh, much to the shock of the rest of the fish. It is pretty shocking because see, I was thinking like, well, it's like, well, I was hoping one of them would, you know, get out. I thought he was gonna die, but then he knows he spit. It's the little the knife from that um thing that was in the the other tank it was the the knight and um yeah he stabs the guy and he's free <laughs> and the yeah, dude just is kind of like huh and just goes back to work yeah. <laughs> i just i found that so funny he was just like hey okay <laughs> whatever i just got stabbed by fish <laughs> and that's the end of the movie so uh you found it underwhelming despite uh, the score and the uh, themes of it. And, uh, why would you say that? I think my thing is everybody is like, oh my god, this is so gory and dark and awful. And I'm like, I mean, it's dark and it is bloody, but it's not... I mean, like, I'm not saying that it isn't dark. It's just I think a lot of people sort of miss the point of the darkness. You know, we're supposed to be in the view of the fish. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a little bit over the top, but it's like, it makes sense from like, you know, the um, the view we're in. Yeah, so like I think the entire film takes place in a fish tank for the most part. You do, you know, feel bad for the fish. I just think, and see now when you say that the uh, guy who directed this, it was like him feeling trapped. 
that makes more sense to me. Yeah, like uh, some of us. Yeah, sorry. I think that. See, I feel like if you go in with knowing that, I think it makes the film better. But I feel like a lot of people were just like, oh my God, this film is so violent and dark. And I'm like, well, fish dying is just fish dying. I'm not saying that it, again, not saying that it isn't violent. It shows the blood and like you see the insides of the fish. It doesn't shy away from that. But I also just maybe feel like, um, again, I, I think when I think of dark, I think of something a little different. So maybe that's why I was like, this is not as violent as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's uh, violent, but it's more existentialist. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. That's yes. uh, this makes yeah, you think. I was, yeah, like I was, I was impressed by it when I first saw it, uh, to be honest. Like, like it captured the theme of uh, life or death, uh, survival versus freedom, um, mm-hmm. and... Uh, it doesn't affect the job showing the life oh, yeah. of the fish in a restaurant, especially uh, the environment you're in feels very claustrophobic in a crowded fish tank. Again, the, I would say this, the humans are really ugly, but that was yeah. supposed to po- be the point since they're supposed to be viewed as monsters to the eyes of the fish. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I think... What should be focused on more is the message. I think just a lot of people call like see this as the violent fish movie. It's like, well, there's actually a reason for that. We've talked about this on the show before, but one of the problems with a lot of things trying to be adult is that the violence doesn't have a purpose, so it comes off more juvenile than serious. Mm-hmm. Not with this. There's a reason for the violence. We're again in the view of the fish, and you know, seeing your uh, your like other fish being killed is that's disturbing. That is super super disturbing. That would be unsettling. So of course, you know, for them, you're gonna see how it would be in the view of the fish. So again, the violence makes sense. This is like I think one of the few animated things where we've seen violence and it not be over the top. Yes. Yeah, like it actually works for the story. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciate. I kind of like, I wish more films would do this because, as we've said, one of the reasons I think animation has had such a hard time sort of being able to show people, hey, this is not just for kids, is because when they try to do adult stories, they think we just have to have a bunch of boobs and blood and guts. Mm -hmm. And that's it. They don't think about the implication. The characters. Exactly. Um,. Yeah, so I think this was, I think it was more like, again, everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's so violent. I'm like, it is, but there's a reason for it. So I kind of actually found this to be a little more, I think my thing is people made it sound like it was very disturbing and unsettling, like things you hadn't seen before. And I was like, "Mm, no, (laughs) I've seen stuff like this before. But again, I do appreciate that the director said the violence is going to have a a purpose. It's going to serve the story. Yeah, and uh, so um, let's see. What would you give her on a score of one to five? Hmm. So this personally is not a film I think I'd watch again. However, I would probably give it like a four. Just because I do appreciate what this guy did. Um, However, I am going to say if you are very squeamish, don't watch this movie. Because as I said, it's not just blood. We see the guts of the fish. And we see the fish 
devouring other fish. And if that is something that might disturb you, don't watch it. But I think if you're looking for something kind of different, give it a watch. Oh yeah, this is definitely one of those films that would make people vegan. Like, uh, I give it a full <laughs> as well. Like, like, I'm impressed by what this small team was able to accomplish. Oh yeah, super this. impressive. Like, not just the uh, visuals, but also the story and the theme. It's like, I can see why I, a lot of studios were turned off by this. Oh yeah. But it surprisingly handles the themes really well. Like, uh, sure, now everyone is stuck in a matter of life and death, but they are trapped in different ways and I can see that if you have a thing about existentialism and how it can make you crazy, mm-hmm. especially with the blood and gore, go into this uh, with a fair run and expecting that. And I also though do appreciate that it kind of has a bit of like a bittersweet ending because it's not like, yes, Paddock dies, but Flatfish ends up getting to the ocean. So it's like, you know, even though our hero didn't survive, her sacrifice inspired somebody else mm-hmm. so yeah like, yeah, like I, I, I was not really expecting su- that oh yeah this actually just really surprised me like again i don't think i'd watch this again but i do understand why people would find it fans fascinating so yeah and like this is again what i really like about our show is that you know sometimes we'll watch something it's like you know what this is not for me but it's still good it's just not my thing now if only someone would make an mv of this set to let passants from the little moment oh god so it'd be both terrible and funny (laughs) okay so unfortunately now we have to get even a little more depressing because we've had four major deaths since we've last like oh my god what the heck happened i know they all happened so close together the first one this one's just sad in general just because i see this guy kind of as everybody's like eccentric uncle Jimmy Buffett, Margaritaville singer, turned mogul, dies at 76. Now, if you say, I don't know who Jimmy Buffett is, you're freaking lying. Everybody has heard one of his songs. Margaritaville. Yeah, exactly. Wasting away in Margaritaville. Or also, he was known for um, uh, Cheeseburger in Paradise. He actually made his own, like... A the- like a series of uh, cheeseburger in paradise restaurants. Wait, no, no, no. It was Margaritaville restaurants. No, Margaritaville. No, yeah. Because <laughs> I, there is a YouTube series where two YouTuber friends first they went to all of the uh, crap. What is it called? Rainforest the, Cafe. Yes, Rainforest Cafes. Oh. And they went to all the Margaritavilles, and you just can watch sort of their like sanity drain, <laughs> but it's. <laughs> It is pretty amazing how this guy went from, you know, just this, like, really simple singer to being, like, a big-time player. Like, he sold over 20 million albums. That is a lot. So yeah, he... I remember... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I just remember I was here in uh, Margaritaville uh, when me and my family were vacation at Disney. We stayed at the Disney Old Key West Resort, and... They had his song playing on the bus ride to his resort because it's Key West themed. Mm-hmm. Like, again, it's like I know some people probably didn't love his music, but it's like there was ne- I never felt like insulted by him or his music. So it's like, yeah, that's really sucks. Um, he said that. Let me see. <clears throat> Jimmy passed away peacefully on the night of September 1st, surrounded by his family, friends, music and dogs. 
He unfortunately had some sort of, um, he had Merkel cell skin cancer. Oof. Oh, my God. He, ha- he had it for four years, and he continued to perform. Holy sh- what wow. I I'm amazed how even when and people uh, get all these life done in, in this stage stuff upon like how Gene Sisko when he got complications from a tumor, he was still hosting at the movies oh, over wow. the phone from his hospital bed. <laughs> I have to like, admire the people. They're like, Hey, you're sick. He's like, I don't care, I still wanna entertain. So yeah, Jimmy Buffett, I hope you find Margaritaville in heaven. We're gonna miss you, buddy. Oh, yeah. oh and this I'll one's sad too. Oh no, oh. the Arlene oh. Shokin and the inspiration and voice of original. Harley Quinn. Yeah, original voice. The original Harley Quinn, the OG. Yeah, passes away at sixty-seven. Oh, oh my god. So. We are both massive Batman the Animated Series films, mm-hmm. uh, series fans, um, and I adore Harley Quinn. She is probably, like, in my top three favorite DC characters. So I, of course, know, like, everything about the character. And a lot of people say, oh, Tara Strong's the original voice. No, she no. is not. How dare you? Shonkin was the original voice, and she was the inspiration. Like, they modeled the character mm-hmm. after her. Yeah, there was. She was also in the um, soap opera "Days of Our Lives." There's a dream sequence where she's dressed as a Harlequin. That was the inspiration for Harley Quinn, and she voiced the character multiple different times. Let me see. Okay, so she was in "Mask of the Phantasm." She was in Re- "Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker," Gotham, the new Batman he was Adventures, in Justice League, Static mm-hmm. Shock, uh, Gotham Girls, and Justice also League, the. Uh, hit video game Batman Arkham Asylum and DC yep. Universe Online before she retired as a role. Yeah, like, and it's kind of also sad because, you know, we also unfortunately lost um, Kevin Conroy. And someone someone drew this picture of uh, Batman and Harley, like, holding hands going up to heaven. And I was like, why did you have to do this to me? I'm so wrong. Yeah. So, gun, yeah, like... so depressing. Yeah, uh... Gun posted, I think, on on Instagram saying, you know, we lost her. A lot of other people have posted, you know, how they're going to miss her and everything. And I think, um, and also, oh, Mark, poor Mark Hamill. He lost Kevin and he's lost Arlene. I know. He, like, he already said he's not doing Joker anymore because he lost Kevin. I, he's not going to do it again now since he's lost Arlene. Oh, no. So, yeah, this is uh, just another loss. And they keep coming, because we unfortunately also lost Bob Barker, longtime Ice is right host. He was 99. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was surprised he lived so long. That is impressive. Oh, my goodness. So, this, so, I, I don't know what he was doing, because <laughs> he looked pretty good for 99. He must yeah, have just... And- Treated his body right. Yeah. For those of you who've been living under a rock, Bob Barker was a host of Price is Right for a lot of years. He would end every episode by saying, Spay and neuter your pets, as he was an advocate for uh, the health and well being of animals. Yeah, that was like his and, thing. And most famously, he played himself in Caddyshack. No, no, wait, it wasn't Caddyshack, it was Happy Gilmore. 
Yeah, I remember that. They're, like, uh, Bob Barker just also, see, he started as a radio host, and he ran that, he ran the Bob Barker show for six years, then he started hosting games in 1956, and he, he didn't really even retire that long ago, it was in 2015. Damn. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is a guy who just has been working since, like, the early 50s, and this is another person, like, even if you don't know who he is you've probably heard of him or you've seen like something inspired by him so oh he was um suffering from alzheimer's disease which had been hidden from the public um so that's unfortunate that's how he passed away unfortunately he's going to be buried alongside his wife at the forest lawn memorial park in hollywood hills so at least he gets to be with his wife again yeah but this and, one, I uh, think, is... I think this one probably uh, upsets me the most. Oh, uh, the Steve Harwell, the singer, lead vocalist, and frontman for Smash Mouth, dies at 65. Like, 56, I 56. Oh, 56. oh I, I put that in wrong. I'm so sorry. That was my bad, but yeah, at 56. Yes. Boo. Harwell, uh, it was announced a few days before his passing that he had a problem with his lung. Mm -hmm. um, it was liver failure. No way, it was liver failure, and he was brought into a hospice, and he where well, he died. Yeah, and uh, I also feel like fifty six is not that old. I mean, that's just how I kind of view it. Um, but also like if you were like me or Jad, who was like growing up sort of like in the nineties and the early two thousands, everybody knew who Smouse Mouse was. Like, I mean. All Star opened up Shrek, and um, they also had a song in Mystery Men, which also had All Star. Um, yeah, like ever you went, you hear All Star playing. Like they also did a really good cover of "I'm a Believer" by the Monkees. Mm. Some people probably even haven't even heard the original, but they've heard the uh, they've heard the Smash Mouth version. And it's like I think the thing is just. Um, I know some people don't like Smouse Mouse, but it's like, again, it's another thing where it's like, I never was insulted by them. I never felt like they were trying too hard. Like, something about them always felt, what's the word I'm looking for? And like, uh, Howell in his later years, he'd be a bit uh, controversial. Oh, really? Yeah. What did he and, do? Uh, August 2020, uh, the bad end headline at a motorcycle rally in South Dakota where... Howard would loudly declare, fuck that COVID shit. Oh, and ooh. as uh, they were, had no uh, social distance or mask or reg regulations no. to prevent the spreading COVID. And that ooh. event uh, was classified as a super spreader, according to the National Institute of Health. Oh, no. Ending in October 2001, uh, performing at a beer and wine festival in Bethel, New York, uh, Howell appeared to be intoxicated on stage where he threatened several members of the audience and performed oh, what oh. some people would describe as a Nazi salute. Maybe it was a good thing he retired. He retired. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like he also that. was struggling with alcoholism. So you know mm -hmm. what, dude? I, I hope you're resting well. I hope you can finally relax. And I hope that I wish no nothing but good things for his family. You know? Yeah. He may have been controversial, but you know what? I really, I don't want to wish anything ill on his family, so. 
<laughs> Rest in peace, everybody. Okay, and now we're gonna get onto something Go that on. isn't depressing. Yeah, you got this. Yeah, well, I feel like you should talk about this, but I mean, I'll talk about it. Who, who is we have? Ba 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 ba. Shao Khan and Sindel are returning to Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I'm watching the trailer. In, uh, yeah, in this uh, timeline, uh, Shao Khan is a general instead, who's basically a warmonger who's thirsty to drop the blood of his enemies, spit the blood of his enemies. So is Sindel the girl? I'm guessing. Yeah, Sindel is the queen of Outworld in this timeline. Oh my gosh, that hammer's awesome. I know. <laughs> ah, her hair! She fights with her hair! I, I don't know why I like it when people find a way to sort of give people not so much unique, but like abilities that you don't see that much. So seeing this Oh yeah, this that was girl... the way back in the original Mortal Kombat. Like, she'd use her hair as tendrils and her scream would be a projectile weapon. To honor my late husband's legacy. Okay. To continue with Lord. So she is the Empress. And uh, let's see. How far are you in this? I'm at the part where they're meeting the general. Okay. He's earned his place by embodying the very best. We've seen this monk do some training. I'm oh yeah, this timeline, Raiden's a uh, mortal human, while uh, Liu Kang is the defender of Outworld as the god of fire and thunder. Okay, so he's fighting the lady with the fan. Mm-hmm. Katana. She's the one in blue. Ah. He shall taste no victory. Dude, you need to go to the dentist. Your teeth are wonky. <laughs> Once again, I normally don't play these kinds of games, but I think... Chad being excited for it and me seeing all of these trailers have made me extremely excited. And Plus, wait to see uh, the fatalities coming up. Woo! Also, again, it's just you can tell that the people who are working on this game just decided to actually put, like, effort into it. Like, I think they... I'm hoping they gave the people who, like, worked on this game, you know, the time to... Holy crap, he just yeah, crushed his chest. Oh, see, another thing is I do like sort of how, even though it is very, there's a lot like of myth, like mythology and sci-fi, the bodies of the characters and proportions still look realistic. Yeah, that was a big thing they aimed uh, after the complaints of the ninth installment of Mortal Kombat, particularly how the women were betrayed. Yeah. Oh God, his legs. Oh, that probably hurt. Jesus. Because I think it's just, it's distracting. And people are going to say, but this is like a fantasy game. I know, but that'll still be really distracting. It'll take you out of the story. Yeah, exactly. Actually, like oh. uh, in 9, uh, one woman had like a bunch of ribbons covering her tits to the point where I thought, are her nipples like microscopic or something? How can ribbons that tiny cover her nips? Yeah, that also doesn't sound like a comfortable thing to wear. Yeah, especially when you fight to the death. Yeah, again, as just, like a boob haver, I'll be seeing some of these outfits. I'm like, guys, these would not be comfortable to wear. How are they staying up? Is there tape? Okay, so you also added this. It looks like we're getting a new Sonic game. Oh, yeah, Sonic Superstars coming October 17th to multiple platforms. This was oh, announced cool. uh, earlier this year. It's a four-player co-op. Uh, oh, 2.5D side-scroller. 
uh, Saturday the old uh, Sonic games. I see and Knuckles, Tails, of course. And Amy. Oh, did they change Amy's design a bit? Uh, that's or this her is her original. That was, her... Yeah, that's her original it's design cute. from back when she first appeared in the series. Like She's adorable. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to go for a classic feel with the Sonic games. I'm kind of loving this. This looks like a lot of fun, actually. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, I, I'm glad that Safe goes given a classic Sonic its dues now. That's it after seems... success of Sonic Mania. It, like, they've gotten a little bit better with the Sonic mm-hmm. games. I watched uh, Jad and John play the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog, and it was actually, like, genuinely good. I was genuinely surprised. I'm like, this was a April Fool's thing? Yeah, it was hilarious. I highly recommend it just because, I mean, the game itself just seems like a lot of fun, but it was fun watching John get really frustrated with the boss fight <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> okay. You also added this one. Oh, it's a new game from the creators of Untitled Goose Game. Ooh. Thank goodness you're here. Oh, this looks like so much fun. This comedy slapformer unfolds over time as the player's exploration antics leave the mark on the strange town of Barnsworth. I'm yeah, gonna say this. So... I'm really glad there's a lot more like comedy games this day and age. And oh, this looks so surreal yeah. and fun. Yeah, <laughs> the art style is definitely uh, bright and colorful and surreal. And I was curious about what the creators of Untitled Goose Game would do next. And this kind of does look sort of like I mean, it's not a uh, 3D. It's it's got a, it's more of a 2D style, but this mm-hmm. does seem like something they would make. Oh, like there's there's this little dude who's like in a suit and he's just he's just there <laughs> he's just wandering around doing stuff he has this like really just like neutral look on his face he just doesn't seem to care I don't know I kind of love this <laughs> oh rated M for mature oh jeez expect it to get quite cheeky oh this kind of gives me also sort of Gravity Falls vibes like the art gives me Gravity Falls vibes. Now, I'm excited about this, even though I have not played the second game. I need to finish the first one. Little Nightmares 3 announced! Woohoo! Oh, uh, yeah, I gotta get around to playing these games sometime. I have played the first one, I need to finish it, and then I need to play the second one. So, for those of you who don't know, this is a horror game. I forget who this was originally by, but it's, um... It takes place, like, in this really super dark world. It's... It's creepy, but also has sort of like a... Mm Do you know what it reminds me of? Coraline. It reminds Uh, me a lot of Coraline. It's creepy, but also fantastical. You play as like this little girl who's in this really bizarre and creepy like orphanage where there's this really terrifying dude with super long arms. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's very terrifying, but also it pulls you in. The world is very interesting. You're curious about what's going on. And also, I think, like, having you be a child sort of gives it a different layer of fear. Because, you know, being a kid is already kind of scary. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Being a kid in this uh, fucked up world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm excited. We have a lot of video game news. Oh, yeah. That's because uh, Gamescom was going on. Uh, oh, you're right. So Marvel Snap is officially coming to PC and Steam. Now, Marvel Snap become a bit of a surprise hit. It's a deck-building strategy card game 
centered around different Marvel characters from on the multiverse and in different incarnations. And, this trailer and, is really good too. I'm just gonna say. Yeah, especially for a card game. Oh yeah. Because it had it's featuring Ghost Rider and Deadpool, and they're change. Oh, and now there's uh, Squirrel Girl. It's like changing between different uh, variations of the characters. Oh yeah, like they are taking advantage of the uh, Marvel multiverse with some of the uh, characters. Which I kind of feel. Like, I mean, I know some people were not fans of uh, Ant-Man, but I feel like uh, Spider-Verse sort of did, you know, a better job and sort of showed everyone, hey, this is how we can do multiverse stuff. Because multiverse stuff can do really well. Yeah, it's been a thing in the comics for decades. Oh, yeah. Oh, and you've... uh, People who are fans of Rick and Morty, guess what? We're coming uh, back you, with hang season on, you missed seven. The, uh, you missed Wait, the first one. You missed did one. Uh, new territories revealed oh, about whoops. upcoming Fantasy Springs at Tokyo Disney Sea. Ooh, yeah, I think you showed me this. Yeah, now Disney Sea is the set sister park of Tokyo Disneyland over in Japan, Ooh. and like, uh, believe it or not, Disney doesn't actually own the. Uh, complex. It's all owned by the Japanese amusement industry, the Oriental Land Company. While Disney simply licenses their characters and uh, contracts their imagineers who work with them. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think only- Japan was going to let them build there unless they'd be like, we're not going to like let you own this. You can license the characters, mm-hmm. but we're not going to let you own it. Oh yeah, and because of that... Um, they, uh, the only land company doesn't really worry about funding because for Disney Sea, the Imagineers were free to just uh, shoot for the moon with a lot of their ideas. Mm-hmm. That's why I think some of the rides are better <laughs> over there. Yeah. yeah, so the three new lands that come to Fantasy Springs is uh, Frozen Kingdom based around Arendelle. Now, uh, I don't know if this is going to be modeled after Arendelle in Hong Kong Disneyland or it's going to have that ride in Epcot. But, uh, but it seems like it's going to get a lot of uh, Arendelle-themed stuff to it. And Yeah, it uh, says they're going to have an attraction called Anna and Elsa's Frozen Journey. And then there's going to be a restaurant called Royal Banquet of Arendelle and Oaken's OK Food, which is going to be a snack shop. Okay. Yeah. The concept art looks really good. Oh, yeah. And the second land is Rapunzel's Forest. Themed after Tangled, of course. This one also looks really pretty, but I find this one a little surprising just because, I mean, I don't know how popular stuff is over, you know, in other uh, countries, but I'm guessing is uh, Tangled really popular over in Hong Kong? Uh, uh, Japan. I mean, Tokyo, Tokyo, my bad. Japan. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I do know that Frozen was a big hit in Japan. Like, it grossed over $200 million oh. in that country alone. Cause so that might they be They love why. their magic girls there. Oh, yeah, totally. And it looks like they're going to have the tower she was in, which will be really cool. Mm-hmm. And let's see. There's going to be a lantern festival. Oh, and they're going to have the snuggly duckling. Oh, neat. <laughs> I remember that was uh, one of the uh, lounges in, on the Disney Magic cruise ship. That was cute. <laughs> That's adorable. Now this one also, well, not this one doesn't surprise me too much. Um, the other land's gonna be Peter Pan's Neverland, of course, from Peter Pan, because um, Japan's always had a thing for the story of Peter Pan. I think that might have, if I remember correctly, 
they have a Peter Pan um, animated movie that they made. I think it might have come out after the Disney one. I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to look into that. But, um, yeah, see, there was a manga for it. And, um, yeah, so that kind of isn't too surprising. Yeah, and there's going to be several, uh, two rides in a restaurant. One is Peter Pan's Neverland Adventure, which I'm curious. Like, it's this going to be modeled after the, uh, ride in, uh, the other Disney parks, like, like Disneyland and, uh, Magic Kingdom both had that classic Peter Pan ride where you're on a flying ship. Yeah. But this one sort of sounds like you're actually, it's more like of the Lost Boys, because you're rescuing Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. Oh, no, wait, no, it says, okay, guests join the Lost Kids, a fun being an adventurous group of children, explore Neverland with Peter Pan and Tinkerbell to rescue John from Captain Hook. And, and then, uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And let's see, there's the Lookout Cookout, which is like a pirate-themed restaurant, and then they got, Tinkerbell got her own ride, the B- Busy Buggies. Which I'm guessing is going to be themed after the Disney Fairies films. Oh, wow. That's actually kind of surprising, since those films have not been, the last one was a very long time ago. Oh, yeah. I guess they stopped being profitable for a while. No, there's actually a reason for it, but we're not going to get into it here. It'll be too long. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, and this is all coming with a new uh, hotel, Tokyo Fantasy Disney Sea Fantasy Springs Hotel, and the concept art looks beautiful and very awesome. pretty. Yeah, very pretty, but also super big. So there's gonna be, let's see, there's gonna be two restaurants, a Fantasy Spring restaurant, and La La Belle, which I think is supposed to be like a French restaurant. Um, there's going to be a lobby lounge, and there's going to be two types of chateaus. There's going to be a fantasy, which is the deluxe one, and then the grand chateau, which is the, like, luxury one. And there's also going to be a gift shop. Oh, this is opening soon. This is opening next year. Dang. Yeah, next year. Wow. They must have been working on this early then. Okay, so now is it my turn? Yep. Alrighty, so like I said, get ready. October 15th, Season 7 of Rick and Morty is coming. I can't believe we're already yeah. on Season 7. Sheesh. Yeah, I guess they've been uh, going a lot quicker when uh, Royland stepped back from production during Season 3. Because a lot of people are saying that was a big problem. Like, uh, him and Dan Harmon would constantly butt heads which would delay a episodes in production for a bit. Yeah, that's, I think, why it took so long. Because, I mean, there are people who are saying bring him back, but I don't think they're going to just because he was he was making it hard for people to work and finish stuff. Oh, and they just released an animated promo featuring uh, Summer and Beth. Oh, wow. Hang on, let me uh, put it in the chat for you. Woo, I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm wondering how they're going to dress uh the recast in uh, Rick and Morty. Or who's yeah, because we know them. how they did it in, uh, what was it, uh, Solar Opposites? Solar so it's Opposites, gonna... yeah. Another, how are they going to do it in this one? Minutes, so. Yeah, I'm curious too. Because they haven't said anything yet about it. Oh, yeah. And let's see here, what's next? And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is some big news. Oh, yeah, Disney... very big news. Yeah. The special effects animators at Walt Disney Pictures 
m voted to unionize. Finally! And Disney's kind of officially screwed now. <laughs> yeah! Yeah, like, uh, you already heard the horror stories about the uh, special effects animators who work at work for Marvel Productions, right? Oh yeah, a lot of them have refused. So the thing is, is like there are special effects companies, but there's also freelancers. A lot of people have just flat out refused to work with Disney or Marvel. They've just decided, yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. And people are gonna be like, well, why? It's like, well, because it's just too it's too much work with not enough time. Yeah, especially with how much shows and movies you're just churning out these days. Yeah, it's, like, I'm thinking it's starting to have a negative effect on the uh, uh, franchise. Oh, totally. Like, because I, I think I said this before. The problem is they're not spacing stuff out, so now you can't catch up on everything. Yeah, exactly. I I'm still on catch up. I still haven't watched uh, Hawkeye, and the new season of Loki comes out next month, I think. Uh, yeah, it's uh, next month. Yeah, there's so much. It's like, guys, just slow down. But also the thing is, is like, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, it's the special effects artist's fault. Well, not really. They're not given enough time to finish doing the work they're given. They push it, like, too fast and too much, so they're not able to finish. Yeah, apparently that's why uh, Seahawk in uh, the show uh, looked off and wasn't as muscular as he was in the comics. Oh, yeah. But also, uh, this is going to affect Disney's live-action films, which maybe that means they'll stop making them. <laughs> Oh my god, we don't need any more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, maybe this will just be like, hey guys, uh, maybe you can also just go back to using practical effects too. Mm-hmm. Like, just have a... I think the thing is, is for some reason, they're just like, we have to make everything CGI, and it's like, well, no, you don't. You can have a little bit of a... Balance. I think that's just also been the problem is they've been so gung-ho with CGI that they're mm -hmm. overworking people yeah. and they're tired of it So this yeah. is gonna be really interesting to see what's gonna be happening in like the mm -hmm. what past Maybe two to three years because I mean we're still like a lot of stuff has halted production because of the strikes So it's not gonna oh, yeah. I mean it's only gonna get worse And uh, oh yeah, and I think this is you next Yes, I hadn't heard of this, but I'm really excited. Pokemon Company is partnering with TV Tokyo to create a live-action drama based on its long-running franchise. Pokemon's getting a live-action series, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and it's a drama nonetheless. This is going to be really interesting. Because... Yeah. Um, so, it's not like uh, Detective Pikachu. It's about a girl named Madoka Akaki as she connects with the video game franchise. And that actually sounds kind of interesting. I wouldn't mind watching that. Like, seeing a person in the real life and how they love Pokemon and how it sort of shapes them as a person. That actually sounds interesting. And also, I don't think any, like, video game company has done something like this. Yeah, it's uh, surprising considering, uh, especially with how big Pokemon is. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, like, I grew up with Pokemon, and the fact that it's still here shocks me. I'm glad it's still here, but it's just shocking. Let's <laughs> go show the staying power of the series. Oh, yeah. And, like, that's some not something you can... 
what's the you can't it's not 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 comprehend it's not something that you automatically know is going to happen because there's so many like really big franchises that fizzled out and aren't around anymore uh, but yeah, pokemon there's... has staying power Mm-hmm. and oh you oh this one. one i'm excited about i know you are because you like the disney cruises more details revealed about Disney Treasure, the seventh night. Wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. The sixth ship in the Disney Cruise Line fleet. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, this one, uh, more details have been released. Like, it's going to have a more exotic uh, adventure feel to it. Ooh. Like, like and it's going to be the same size and layout as the Wiz, which is the... The other cruise ship that recently debuted. And one neat detail is that Minnie Mouse has been promoted to captain. And oh. only now she is wearing a explorer slash voyager outfit for the Disney treasure <laughs> to keep in, in uh, tune with the theming of it. She looks so cute. Oh, Minnie. She looks so proud of her new outfit. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> this looks really pretty. It shows. I think this is the grand hall that we're yeah, looking at. So we like have the lobby, <laughs> lobby and entrance of the cruise ship. Uh, they have a stage from uh, different shows throughout the day, and oh, cool. it's themed after Agrabah. Uh, and it has a golden statue of Aladdin and Jasmine on the magic carpet. Oh, that's so cool! And it looks and it like we're the... getting a Coco themed dining experience. And yeah, there's a stage for performances. It's that a is restaurant awesome. slash dinner show. Uh, lately, Disney's been invested more in dining shows for their cruise ships. I kind of like, wonder uh, why it's taken them this long to sort of embrace that. Yeah, Plaza de la Coco will have a theater in the round like venue where they have shows shows, and musical performance uh, uh, that take place after the event of Coco. That's going to be so cool. Participate families to uh, celebrate. It's in a show of Mexican cuisine, of course. Oh, yeah. I love Mexican food. And uh, one restaurant returning to the uh, treasure of the wishes, Worlds of Marvel. Ooh. This looks interesting. uh, Yeah. And while it will have that Ant-Man and the Wasp live show, they tease uh, a second all-new show exclusive to the treasure uh, will be performed on the ship. And it will be themed after Spider-Man. Ooh. Okay, so while Jack continues to talk about this, I'm going to run to the bathroom. Take it away, Jack. And let's see. And of course, there's allowances, cafes, and several more. Across from um, the uh, Grand Hall is the Skipper Society. Themed after that classic Disney attraction, the Jungle Cruise. It was where you can drink and exotic Drinks and snacks themed after uh, the Jungle Cruise. And for something more adventurous, there's the Periscope Pub. Themed after Walt Disney's 1953 film, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Hey, what? Uh, you'll feel like you're in a submarine in, in, in that venue. And uh, there'll be two cafes. The Jack Cricket Cafe, themed after Mulan, particularly her pet, the family's lucky cricket. It, 
And let's see. There's a Hey Hey Cafe, a cafe themed after Moana. Uh, and it will have a lot of Polynesian and natural theming. And then there's the the ice cream parlor where you can get at house made gelato, ice cream, sorbet, and all types of sweets and candies at an upcharge. Uh, and it'd be called Jumbo Sweets, themed after the uh, ice cream parlor, the same name in Zootopia. Hopefully uh, there are a lot of factors this time. And uh, let's see, there's the staterooms which look absolutely beautiful. Ooh, uh, like a lot of them themed themed after Aladdin and Kanto up in Pocahontas. Ooh, it's, wow. It's, and a majority of them are uh, seems to have a balcony. And but for those who with large families or they just want a lot of space, there are the royal suites. The Bagheera Suite and the Raja Suite. They These after suites the, look really nice too. Holy yep, named crap. after the jungle cats from the Jungle Book and Aladdin. And yeah, they look beautiful. But the biggest suite is the Funnel Suite. They're located right on the pool deck. Wow. And for this suite, it's Holy the crap. Tomorrow Tower Suite, themed after Epcot and the possibilities of the future and space travel. And the wonders of technology. That is really pretty. And it has two levels. And a bath. Yep. And a shower. Oh, and bunk beds. Wow. Now this and is what I'm excited about. The shows. Yes. Yep. The Walt Disney Theater is on every cruise ship. And has musical performances. It's, they have uh, the, a Beauty and the Beast show. And they teased an upcoming and show, oh, that it's all new for the treasure, but they'll reveal more details later. Mm-hmm. And since it's going to be on a Caribbean itinerary, you're going to expect Pirates Night with a, a live pirate rock show on the pool deck. Oh, that sounds like fun. And speaking of the pool deck, there's the Aqua Mouse from its sister ship, The Wish. Only this one has an all new animated short uh, uh, called The Curse of the Golden Egg, where Mickey and Minnie. And he explore an ancient hidden temple um, where they search for the treasure the same name. So they're getting their Indiana Jones on. Mm-hmm. And for the uh, main end shows, oh, still Sarabis, named after the Lion, Iron, who symbolizes mom from the Lion King. With oh, yeah, that's his mom. His mom's name is Sarabi, yeah. Yep, and the interior has a beautiful African-inspired decor. And this is where they host uh, family-friendly shows during the day and more adult-oriented performances at the night. Wow. And then there's the kids' clubs. You see, instead of casinos like a lot of cruise ships, Disney instead has kids' clubs called the Oceania Clubs. Which makes sense. There has Mm -hmm. to be something for... Of course there has to be something for the kids. All with different theming as well. There's the Mickey and Minnie uh, Club... The Marvel Superhero Academy, Fairy Tale Hall, where you can meet several Disney princesses, Fun. Star Wars Cargo Bay, which is all, of course, Star Wars themed. And for the more creative and adventurous types, there's Walt Disney Imagineering Lab, where you can help, where you can design your own rides and ride them virtually. That is awesome. <laughs> that is so freaking cool. Hey. 
So yeah, I'm excited about this. This the maiden voyage will be in December of next year, so it's okay. gonna set sail pretty soon. We need to go. <laughs> oh, I would it love like to so much go fun. on a cruise with a friend someday. Oh, we gotta do that. So this I found kind of interesting. Um, Eddie Murphy is gonna star in his first Christmas movie. Yeah, I'm surprised uh, Eddie Murphy's still doing movies. Well, also, I'm like, he hasn't done a Christmas movie before. Because mm -hmm. he was in Haunted Mansion. So I'm like, he hasn't done a Christmas movie before. I just found that kind of interesting. Um, it's going to be called Candy Cane Lane. After Chris, Eddie Murphy, inadvertently makes a deal with a mischievous elf named Pepper, Julian Bell. To better his chances of winning, she casts a... He wants to win the annual Christmas home decoration um, contest. She casts a magical spell that brings the 10, 12 days of Christmas to life and wreaks havoc on the whole town. At the risk of ruining the holidays for his family, Chris, his wife, Carol, tr a.k.a. Tr played by Tracy Ellis Ross, and their three children must race against the clock to break Pepper's spell, battle deviously magical creatures, and save Christmas for everyone. So, it sounds like a little generic, but it's like, it's a Christmas movie. I can't be mad at that. And I honestly have, like, a soft spot for Christmas movies, even if they're kind of cheesy. Uh, it's directed cool. by Reginald Holden. Uh, he seems to have quite a career. Yeah, he directed House Party, and let's see. He's gonna be directing Candy Cane Lane. And now, was House Party also Eddie Murphy? Uh, let me check. I don't see him listed here. Oh, that was the the band, the, the duo play. The RM, the hip hop duo Kid and Play from like years ago. Oh, and that he was, was also them. the producer for the Django Unchained. Oh, he was also the producer for Bebe's Kids. Oh, dang. Oh. He's had a very interesting career. So this will be interesting. Because he's, he's like, he's done a lot of comedy movies, but he also did a movie about, um, Thurgood Marshall, the first African-American Supreme Court judge that starred Chadwick Boseman. I heard that was really good. So, yeah, this oh, will be interesting. Oh, produced on the boondocks. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. All right. I, I have some faith in this. This could be good. Okay. Okay. Oh, our yeah. friend John's going to be happy about this. Oh, yeah. Life Action One Piece debuts to number one on Netflix. Which I found very surprising. <laughs> yeah, especially since a lot of the live-action anime adaptations usually flop. Oh, but, yeah, uh, but not only so has, far, this is the yeah, only one been, I think that's done it uh, done this well. Yeah, it shows what happens when you actually get people who are passionate about the source material to work on it. And the director. He uh, finalized, like, the main cast. Like, they got... Um, okay, I don't know how you don't know what the heck One Piece is, even if you don't watch anime or read manga one piece is probably one of the right now i think it might be the longest running like anime slash manga series um because it started like in the 90s it is still going there are a thousand episodes over a thousand episodes of the anime and the book is still going right now um i'm gonna try to say his name right I ichiro oda he's taking a break but he's been writing this since, I think it was maybe 1999 when One Piece started. Let me check. I believe so. It was the late 90s. 1997. So, uh, yeah. 1997. John's going to get mad at me. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> yeah, and, this, and 
he was actually heavily involved in the live action adaptation all the way down to the cast and like he wanted to make sure they got the ethnicities and the personality of the Straw Hat Pirates right. Mm-hmm. And the cast looks amazing, but like now see, so here's the thing, as we just as Jad said, a lot of live action adaptations of animes do not do well unless it's like a slice of life anime. But if it's a fantasy one, they're not that good. They tried to do Full Metal Alchemist, and that one was a massive failure. It did not do well. They tried to do um, Death Note. Cowboy Bebop. That one didn't work either. But so far, the One Piece live-action series it seems to be the best out of the bunch. That's an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, damn. That's actually really good. And uh, according to uh, Netflix viewerships, uh, within its debut week, it saw over 18.5 million views. Damn. I think they said it actually beat out Stranger Things. And if that's true, that is very impressive. So Stranger Things is like Netflix's flagship show. So, so like, I think another thing also is when I saw the trailer... So, see, my thing is, is the thing about One Piece... One Piece has a very unique, distinct, cartoony style. And I'm oh, like... definitely. How are they going to do this? One of the I haven't gotten that far, but one of the characters I really like is a character called Captain Bucky. Now, in this world, there's something called Devil's Fruit. There's a bunch of different ones. If you eat um, a certain type of fruit, it gives you a power. And one of them is uh, the gum gum fruit. Is that the one that... Mm-hmm. I think that's the one yeah, that Luffy the eats. the one Luffy eats, the gum gum yeah. fruit. It makes his body stretchy like rubber. But... Uh, the reason they call it the devil's food is because of the price you pay. Like, if, mm-hmm. as soon as your body contacts salt water, you lose all your powers, which can yep. result in you drowning immediately. So, one of the first characters that we meet who also ate a devil's fruit is named Buggy. He, um, ate, I think, called a, a parasima. I can't, is this parasima? I think it is. So, in, in this, he can... He okay. First of all, he's a clown, so yeah, already a, it's like and we're not saying entire, that to be silly. He's a legitimately a clown. <laughs> yeah, and he runs a his entire crew has a circus team. Like there's a lion tamer, a knife thrower who rides around on a unicycle, a strongman, etc. And his thing is that he uh, his body comes apart. Yeah, he ate the chop chop food, so he can remove chop, any chop, part food. of his body from um, him. Um, and, and I'm just like, just and act on their own. he's a, and I'm like, okay, so in the anime, he's, despite being a clown, he's actually a pretty intimidating character. I'm like, how the heck are they going to adapt him properly? And I've seen what he looks like. And I was like, oh, oh okay. They actually did it really well. Like they got an actor. I mean, he's wearing a lot of makeup, but it looks like the actor they got understood the assignment like i've seen some clips i'm like oh this this actually doesn't look that bad like again the thing about one piece it's it's very cartoony and over the top i'm like how the hell are they gonna do this but it seems like they've actually done their research and put some effort forth so you know only time will tell i don't know if they're gonna do the whole series they might not be able to but who knows we'll see hopefully it'll get renewed for a second season Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. And oh, I believe you this, added this. Yeah, and I'm actually kind of excited for this. So, I mean, so I don't know who um, remembers this, but um, 
Armin Studios, the guy um, behind the Wallace and Gromit cartoons, which everybody has seen. This, I, I can't remember if this was, yeah, this was their first feature-length and film, Chicken Run. And it was about chickens who were living in an egg farm that's kind of like a prison camp. And the thing is, is like, if you stop producing eggs, you die. And it's like, you know, it sounds like really dark, but the way they make it is it really feels like these kids, like these chickens are in a war camp. And they're like, we have got to find a way to escape. And one day, a rooster, an American rooster, glides over their coop and they think he can fly. And they're like, you need to teach us how to fly so we can escape. And it's ended up being sort of like, I think it's a classic. Like, I remember this film and it still really holds up. And so when I heard they were doing a sequel, and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure about this. But I've seen the trailer, and it looks fantastic. It looks like they're staying true to the original movie. And also, the original villain is returning. Oh, uh, yeah, that part surprised me. I know. Like, Mrs. Tweety was a stone-cold bitch, and I kind of loved her for that. I'm like, she's such an evil, calculating person. And she, like, is has her husband under her thumb. She never calls him by her first name, either. He always calls her Mr. Tweety. I always thought that was really funny. But I'm actually really excited for this. This looks genuinely good. Oh, uh, yeah. This is the result of uh, Oddman and the New Deal with Netflix now. Yeah, and I think it's just, like... I've talked about this before. I don't necessarily have a problem with sequels. But... You either have to get the people who, like, originally worked on the sequel, or you actually have to have a genuinely good idea. So, um, the fact that, you know, this is sort of paying homage to the original, but instead of breaking out, it's breaking in. So I'm actually, again, I'm genuinely, I am genuinely excited for this. It looks yeah, like a lot of like fun. Yeah, it's like a spy thriller. Yeah, it's with chickens. <laughs> All right, you want to take this oh, yeah, one? I heard about this one. Uh, General Mills introduces a new serial... The first new serial monster in 35 years. Dang. Carmella Creeper. So, I feel like people are going to be like, why the heck are y'all talking about cereal? Well, like, Ch Count Chocula is kind of a, a like, an icon, regardless oh, yeah. of whether he wants to be or not. Um, so, years ago, uh, General Mills cereal created the Count Chocula, Count Chocula cereal that only came out around... Um, in Halloween. There a was chocolate cereal with chocolate marshmallows. Double chocolate. Yeah. Then they had Frankenberry, which it's was strawberry. Yeah, then they had Booberry, which is blueberry. Now there are two other ones. I think a lot of people have not heard of these ones, but they've brought them back. Fruit Brute, which was Fruit flavor cereal with lime flavored marshmallows, but they changed it to cherry flavored with just regular marshmallows. And fruity yummy mummy, which is orange cream flavored with marshmallows. Mm -hmm. And now they're introducing a brand new character called Camilla Creeper, which is caramel apple. And I think she's sort of, I think she's supposed to maybe be a zombie. Yes, maybe? it looks like a zombie. Yep, it says she's a zombie like and a she's also a DJ. Punk. DJ Zombie, yeah. So, like, again, people's like, why the heck are you guys talking about a serial? It's like, well, people love these characters. I think they've had, they also made Funko Pops of these characters. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, 
It's one of the reasons to look forward to Halloween. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of those things that's like their food mascots. It's like, yeah, but people adore these mascots. And it's something fun to look forward to, you know? Like, you know, you get a special type of cereal that only comes around Halloween. I'm like, that's actually, that's really fun. So, yeah, this is going to be interesting. I hope it's good. And I don't care what anyone says. I still like really fruity kid cereals. They're fun. I'm still going to eat them. Yeah, I like chocolate cereals. (laughs) Yes. It's like every once in a while you want breakfast, but you want chocolate too. Mm-hmm. And you just added this, and I'm oh, excited yeah, this about was, this. Oh uh, yeah, new today. Amber uh, is going to be a playable character in Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl 2. I cannot wait for this game. The more they add, the more excited yeah, I get. Let's... Now, uh, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl, which came out a couple years back, it was basically uh, their answer to Smash Brothers. It had a pretty mm-hmm. limited budget, though, but... They made a surprisingly technical platform on Fighter, uh, considering the limited resources they had. Yeah, and it's Missing. been a while since that game, so now they're adding a bunch of, like, like. Uh, hang on, I'm going to check something. Go ahead, you can keep talking. And uh, also, Brawl 2, the sequel, it's going to have a, not only a bigger cast, but also tons of new features. Voice acting, acting uh, new arcade ladder, an all-new uh, campaign mode. Uh, with an entirely a, uh, original story and bot- final boss fight. Yeah, so I think they might have, like... Now, I don't know if like they did a poll or if maybe they just did research to see, like, who are some popular characters to add because Ember is not a main character. She's a uh, villain from Danny Phantom, but I think she's probably one of the favorites because of her song that she sings. She's, like, a rock star, and she gets her power when people say her name. So, yeah, this is going to be really interesting to see, because um, we're also getting El Tigre from El Tigre, The Avengers of Manny Rivera. We're getting... Uh, Plankton. Oh, yeah, we're getting Plankton. Raphael Squidward. and from uh, Ninja Turtles. Also, Jimmy Neutron. Oh, this is going to be so exciting. I cannot wait. We've got a lot oh, of yeah. good games coming out. Uh, definitely. Okay, so now it is time for recommendations. Now, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go? You go go ahead. All right, so, I mean, this is going to probably surprise nobody if you know me. I love Adventure Time. It is probably my favorite animated series of all time. I have rewatched it so many times. So when I heard that Fiona and Cake was going to be a thing, I was genuinely excited. Um, Because, like, for those of you who don't know, Fiona and Cake are the female versions of Finn and Jake. Now, they were created by Ice King, but it seems like they actually exist. It's so... It's, I mean, okay, For again, I love Adventure Time, so I'm always excited when they make new Adventure Time stuff, but it also seems like... The thing about, like, the people who are behind Adventure Time, they do a good job of staying consistent with what has happened to their characters. So if you guys didn't see the last episode of... Adventure Time, what happened is um, the Ice King became Simon Petrikoff again. He lost his powers. And his girlfriend, Betty, became um, Golb, who's like the god of like destruction and everything. So we have Simon, who's struggling in the magical land of Ooh because he feels lost without his powers. But we also have Fiona, who's just a normal human in like our world. And she's struggling, she loses her job, her cat is sick, but it seems like their worlds are connected. 
I think the third episode was released today. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, it but was released today. It was, okay, so I need to watch it. But, like, the first two episodes were so good. Like, again, I just am really in awe that the people who are still, like, on the Adventure Time team continue to make extremely good stuff that still fits in with the lore and world of Adventure Time. And we also get to see a grown-up Finn. Uh, yeah, and he says nuts. Yeah, like, and he was trying so hard to help Simon. Like, it's just, it's really cool to see this character that we loved be an adult and how he still tries very hard to help people. So, I'm really enjoying it so far. I can't wait to watch the new episode. Um, and my and next recommendation is a YouTube series called Den of the Drake. And his, um... Catchphrase is, most uh, most dragons hoard gold while I hoard internet cringe. Because <laughs> he reads um, from the subreddit RPG horror stories where he where people post like their horror stories trying to play Dungeons and Dragons or other tabletop RPGs. And as he is a D&D player, he also gives insight on what makes a good campaign, how to be a good DM and everything. He's also just really genuinely funny. Like, I just really like how, yeah, he's making fun of these people, but also he intersperses, like, with wisdom. He was talking about how um, there was one story where this uh, trans man was unfortunately the victim of a stalker. This guy was not getting it through his head that the OP was a trans man, not a woman. And the guy was just super inappropriate and creepy. And, you know, the, tra the, the OP finally put their foot down it's like, I'm not taking this anymore, you know, and managed to get this guy banned from, like, all the surrounding shops where they had, like, D&D campaigns. But, you know, Drake was even saying, like, gotta get serious for a second. You know, if this does happen to you, tell people, you know, he does a really good job of having a balance of humor and seriousness. And he's just, again, genuinely funny. He is hilarious. I gotta check him out when we're done. Okay, now it's your turn. Okay, so, um... My, I'm, my recommendation is one uh, Marvel show I don't see a lot of people talking about. What if. Animated one. Yeah, it's the animated one. And then it takes place, uh, it's inspired by the comic book series with the same name where it takes offense to the MCU and asks what if, like, what if uh, Peggy Carter became Captain America? What if uh, uh, Tikala was Star-Lord? What if Doctor Strange couldn't let go of the past? And what if Ultron won? Now, my favorite is, what if Loki and Thor didn't grow up together? What if Odin returned Loki to the Frost Giants? Oh, yeah. It, tur Thor it turns out Thor like would a become a, <laughs> a playboy. <laughs> yeah, it just becomes this big party guy. And he just uh, leads a big chaotic party on Earth. Which leads to a lot of drinking and partying, and uh, this woman end up a having a one night stand with Howard the Duck. <laughs> and um, so, since Loki wasn't raised as you know an Asgardian, he was raised as a frost giant. So he's massive and blue, but he and like um, Thor are like buddies. <laughs> it's so it's it's just funny seeing Loki kind of as like a frat boy. <laughs> And uh, it was also the uh, 
uh, hang on, let me look up his name. It was also one of the uh, last performances of uh, the guy who played Jakala. Oh, Chadwick Boseman? Yeah, it was the last time he reprised his role as a character as he died at the recording. Oh, that's so sad, but also kind of sweet. I've heard good. I need to watch the rest. I only watched the one with uh, Thor because, as Jack can attest, I am a whore for Tom Hiddleston. Of <laughs> uh, course you are. He teases me about it all the time. I mean, I'm not going to deny it because it's true, but yeah, so. I also heard the one with the zombies was really good too. Oh, uh, yeah, and that one's getting its own spin off series, Marvel Zombies. Because mm -hmm. that was also based off a comic too. Yep, and uh, they're also, uh, from the looks of it, it's going to be TVMA rated. Oh, thank goodness. It's going to be the I didn't first, want them. first for a Disney Plus original. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I'm also just going to go ahead and say this. I second this next recommendation Jad has. Oh, yeah, it was uh, Penn's Labyrinth, one of Guillermo del Toro's early, earlier films, and... It is fan-freaking-tastic! Oh my god! I believe so good. this came out the same year as this other film, uh... Daredevil. Uh, oh, no, wait, um... Uh, fuck, what was that? Uh, was Hellboy! Hellboy, yeah, it came out the same year as Hellboy. I think right, you might be right. This was a more personal project for Del Toro, though. Oh, uh, it's set in, uh... It's a Spanish-Mexican... And it combines these two genres you didn't think would go together. Historical war film and dark fantasy. But it, it works. Yeah, it focuses on this uh, little girl uh, named Ophelia uh, who moves in with a new stepfather who's the uh, Captain Fidel all of this uh, political regime. Who hunts these Spanish Marquis? He's in the countryside. And during her time there, she meets this, uh, uh, Fawn, who, who tells her that she's actually a princess and she must fulfill these tasks. Ask, ask to, uh, return to the fantasy world. Yeah, to return home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, uh, world, or, all scenes are grisly and dramatic and while the fantasy elements are both beautiful and horrifying at the same time, like you see a frog regurgitate its entire body. Oh, it's so nasty. <laughs> and then there's the horrifying pale man who has oh. eyes in whose eyes are located in the palm of his hands. He is one of the most terrifying creatures I think I've ever seen in a film. It's Doug Jones who's been in like all of Guillermo del Toro's films, he plays both the fawn and the pale man, and the pale man is just legitimately terrifying. Like Jesus, it's oof. But I I want to say something just really quick. Um, Captain Vidal, you will end up hating that man. He is by far one of the best movie villains because he is just absolutely and totally despicable. There is nothing likable about him. You will learn to hate him. Oh, he is. And there's a reason for that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and this is also one of the few times where, like, somebody managed to take a dark fantasy story and do it well. Of course, it's, I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro. What do you expect? <laughs> yeah, like, it was 
Dark Fantasy was a channel that was big in the 80s, but they haven't really seen uh, much of it since. And mm-hmm. This film is absolutely amazing. Like, I remember a lot of critics back in the day, I uh, gave it praise and it won a lot of awards. It, it still holds up. It's still really beautiful. And this is also another instance where, like, um, Guillermo del Toro's always kind of been big on practical effects. And he does it. He manages to combine it with like some CGI. Like the frog is a physical, is a practical effect. Oh yeah. There yeah, is a. Yeah, I didn't. I couldn't believe that either. But when I watched the behind the scenes, the the frog is like a puppet, and then the fawn is both practical effects, makeup, and also CGI. So it's like, can more people just take a page out of his book? Like, hey guys, look, this is what we do. We use practical and CG and special effects and CGI and voila we can make good stuff yeah so definitely uh, recommend this film it's one of Del Toro's best films in my opinion okay, just, I, I just want to say this film is rated R so if you are oh, underage yeah, yeah. watch it with an adult it is rather violent because it is taking place in like um, I think yeah it's 1944 during like the the fat like the the Spanish Civil War so yeah it is really um violent at some points so just you know and, be uh, aware of that. Is, I believe arm amputated. Oh yeah. So definitely uh, not for the kids. Nope, not at all. <laughs> and this next movie that we're going to be reviewing is also not for kids. I'm pretty sure this film is also rated R. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you, I've done a little bit of research. This next episode might be hard for some of you, so if you guys want to skip it, we will not hold that against you. <laughs> We're going to have to get ready. We're watching Belladonna of Sadness. Oh, I haven't heard of this one. I have, and it sounds like it might be a rough one. Oh, boy. Pray for us, guys. We're going in. <laughs> See you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye.